0: As a a leader and an employee as well, the opportunity is, okay, when you look at this plan you've put together, you know, whatever the action steps might be to get real, you know, to look at and say, okay, when the stuff starts hitting the fan, which of these things are you going to persevere through, which are going to mean enough to you, which are going to deliver enough bang for your buck to stick with it. And get real and right size those plans. You know, because so frequently I think we just think that somehow the plan is the magic, and you know, how many bullet points we've got or action steps dictates the value of it. And at the end of the day, it's how much energy someone will put into any of those points to take them forward that to me defines success. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation it's about being human and putting people first through actionable love welcome to the love in action podcast where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business here's your host marcel schwantes
1: welcome to another episode of the love in action podcast my name is marcel schwantes i'm an executive coach speaker Inc. Magazine contributing editor and the creator of the From Boss to Leader Servant Leadership course for managers and executives. Glad you are here. This is the only show, to my knowledge, that explores the role and principles of love and care in business and the workplace. None of the squishy stuff. We're talking about courageous and essential skills and practices to help people flourish and businesses to grow. And we would love it if you could share this episode with someone in a leadership or management role. That's why we're here, to support and empower managers, executives, and anyone in a position of influence. And hey, if you like the show, we would be grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes as well. Now, there are few people that I invite back for a second episode. I mean, it's a pretty short list, which means they are fully deserving of coming back because, well, their message or mission in the world so much aligns with everything I do. case in point, Ken Blanchard. He's a servant leadership guy. Well, I'm a servant leadership guy. So as long as Ken keeps pumping out bucks, you can be sure that I'll be inviting Ken back to the show. Speaking of servant leadership, I'm going to use this as my my nifty little lead-in here. Okay, one of the tenets of being an effective servant leader, as in you you can't be a servant leader without doing this consistently well, is the ability to grow and develop your people. But we've kind of restricted ourselves to this decades-old default mindset that career development Is about, you know, handing out promotions and giving someone a raise, a fancier title. So we've become conditioned to this idea that the only way to career development, as they say, is to move up, you know, climb that corporate ladder. Just the term makes me cringe as I think about it. Do you remember the last time you felt like, hey, I'm going somewhere, I'm growing? I do. It it was about being promoted. And rightfully so. I mean, you know from one position to a position of higher responsibility uh, with a bigger office. At the time, it felt good. I mean, I worked my butt off and it was my reward, right? Getting that promotion. But six months into that new role, I was back in the rut because I was stuck in a job that didn't really light me up because it, you know, it wasn't fulfilling. I wasn't really contributing. And frankly, I, I wasn't engaged. So, I left that job not long after that promotion. So my guest today says this time-honored tradition of defining career development exclusively in terms of promotions, moves, and title changes, these are her words, is dead. I mean, dead. (laughs) Stick a fork in it, okay? (laughs) She says this outdated mindset leaves employees disengaged, managers disempowered, and organizations disadvantaged as they struggle to retain talent. I mean, I was there. I was that person on the employee side. And I know there are countless people like that, you know, at every level, including managers themselves that have no job satisfaction because, you know, the world says there's only one way to grow, and that's to move up and get promoted. So today, what we're finding is, you know, this outdated mindset is doing a lot of bad things to business, hurting innovation, hurting people's performance. And well, we're in the middle of this great resignation. So it's also seriously jeopardizing the ability to retain top talent right now. Okay, what a downer, huh, Marcel Sheesh. Okay, here's some good news. (laughs) My guest did the research and found seven other dimensions. I should have had a drum roll before that. Seven other dimensions that people find even more interesting than the classic climb up the corporate ladder. Seven others. Who knew? So that's going to be the basis of our discussion today. So I mentioned repeated guests. I am so honored to bring back to the show the one and only Julie Winkle Giuliani. She just wrote a book called Promotions are So Yesterday, Redefine Career Development, Help Employees Thrive, where she features those seven alternatives to promotions that we're gonna be talking about. Julie Winkle Giuliani has championed workplace growth and development. She operates on the belief that everyone deserves the opportunity to reach their potential. And she works with organizations and leaders all over the place to want to make that happen julie is also the co-author of the international bestseller you may remember that from a few years back help them grow or watch them go career conversations organizations need and employees want which now has been translated i'll have you know into seven languages in addition to writing and speaking on the workplace and development issues julie leads design arounds a firm that creates and offers training to organizations worldwide. Named by Inc Magazine as a top 100 leadership speaker, Julie is a sought after keynote presenter. She's traveled all over the place from China to Russia to Brazil and beyond. And she's also a regular columnist for Training Industry Magazine and also contributes articles for The Economist. She's a proud mom, a wife, and she now joins us. Julie, welcome back.
0: <laughs> oh, Marcel, it's so fun to be back with you again.
1: You know, I was telling you offline that I was going to mention this. So here it is. I mean, the first time you came on the show was way back on episode 13, where you and I were kind of wet behind the ears back then, both rookies doing this. And uh, we're now up to 140 episodes and we're heard in 160 countries since then. Can you believe that?
0: That is, Yes, I can believe it. It doesn't surprise me for a moment, but congratulations. The work that you're doing is so important. And this message is, has never been more important to leaders.
1: Thank you so much, Julie. And I'll have my listeners know that Julie and I met in person once in LA. We did some work together through the uh, the Humans First uh, Club Network. And I, Julie and I just kind of hit it off to this day. I'm going to put Julie on the short list of those kind of human beings that, you know, you once you meet once every 20, 25 years or so that make such an impact on you that you're just like, wow, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about about that person for a while. And even though I am what 2000 miles away, I'm, you know, East coast, she is LA girl, (laughs) South Pasadena, (laughs) close to my old stomping grounds. We stay still stay connected by email. And I know Julie, that eventually one of these days, we're just going to do something together. I don't know. I mean, it's just that just, we're just waiting for those planets to start lining up.
0: Yeah, those seeds were planted back during that first session, when I saw the heart that you brought to your work, the clarity of the message, and just the clear commitment you had to supporting others in realizing their potential, I I knew this is somebody I was going to know for a (laughs) long time. So thank you. And I just feel really lucky to have been guest number
1: 13
0: and on a list with Ken Blanchard as a returning guest. You know, mm. my head is now so big, I might not get out the door.
1: Oh, well, okay. Well, let's see if I can shrink it just a, just a <laughs> tad for the rest of the conversation. So thank you for that. It's like mutual admiration society. I hope we're not boring our listeners. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, how we start the show, because I want them to really kind of get to know the side of Julie that maybe you don't speak often enough. So we start the show with this. You ready? I'm ready. What's your story?
0: (laughs) I love that question so much. And that's a new one since uh, I was here last. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think my story has this through line of learning and development. I remember back in kindergarten working really hard at my penmanship because I decided I wanted to be a teacher back then. And so I knew that teachers had to write really well. And and as I look at everything I've done, gratefully my handwriting isn't uh, on the line these days, but that through line is helping people to grow. There's something that just tickles my soul to no end. When I see the light bulb go on or I see someone doing something differently, making a positive change, there's just little that's more satisfying uh, for me than doing that. And my own experience of development was kind of interesting. I grew up, it wasn't until I was about 30 years old that I had my first, just not even a bad boss, just a normal boss. Before that time, I had people who were just natural developers and I thrived. And then I hit a normal boss and I realized with that contrasting experience, wow, that's a game changer. Uh, And I really recognized how important growth and development was for me personally, not just within the workplace to be able to do my job better, but my health and well-being and satisfaction and happiness even outside of work. And so, So I have really dedicated the lion's share of my adult life toward helping leaders like you, helping leaders understand the powerful impact they have. And bring the best they can to their work in service of helping others do the same.
1: That's great. You're speaking from the heart and you're speaking from a place of mission. This is kind of what we do. It's our calling. It's our mission, right? And I mean, we want to change the world through leadership and uh, you do it so uniquely through this this development piece. So I feel like if we're going to take a deep dive into promotions are so yesterday, we, we can't do it without first kind of talking about your first book, help them grow or watch them go because promotions kind of picks up where help them grow left off. Am I, am I off on this or not? No,
0: you totally nailed it, Marcel. I yeah. hate to use the word sequel because we know that that doesn't play so well on the big screen um, in terms of, uh, of success, but it really does feel like promotions are so yesterday Is the the sequel because, as you know, help them grow really focused on the conversation. How can we disarm this whole thing called career development? How can we take some of the, the burden away from it, the heaviness, and turn it back into the human endeavor that it is? And at its core, you know, development is a relationship that we have. Uh, Leaders and employees, and it plays out through conversation. And so, help them grow all about how can we have better conversations, higher quality conversations, more insightful conversations, and just gosh darn it, more conversations over time rather than that one and done off in the corner once a year. And we forget about it until this time next year. So we did some great work over the last 10 years, I mean, around the world, literally elevating the quality of the conversation. And yet in the back of leaders' minds still, there was this worry floating around. Because despite how great the conversation was, they had this fear, this assumption, this concern that no matter how great the conversation was, that at the end of it, the expectation on the part of the employee was going to be for the promotion, the title, the new role, the thing they had so little of. And so, despite in expanded conversational skills, there was still that concern that got in the way of managers doing what they knew they wanted to do and what we know employees want them to do in terms of those conversations. And so we had to crack the code in terms of this concern around expectations relative to promotions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's frame promotions or so yesterday with the research that you conducted. Is that a good starting point you feel?
0: perfect starting point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And a nice uh, nice build on where we just were. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, over the last 10 years, since uh, Help Them Grow was published, I had a chance to do a countless keynotes and training sessions and uh, and coaching with folks. And my consistent question throughout the process with employees and leaders alike was, what does career mean to you? And when people start talking about what career means to them, It is profound. You know, certainly there's this level of it's what I do to be able to keep the lights on and take care of myself and my family. But then once you get past that layer, the depth of what our relationship with work wants to be, it's enormous. People talk about big, bold, juicy, meaningful Multifaceted things about how they, it's a place where their skills and talents get honed and used for the good of others. It's where they make contributions. It's where they make lifelong friendships and relationships. It's where they stretch their ability and they figure out what they're capable of. The definition, like in our heads, what we hold about what career means to us is really big. And so over that time, the patterns began to emerge and the responses started to fall into buckets. And pretty soon I had these seven other buckets of areas that were really important, what were really alive for people and ways that they wanted to grow and engage. And so I knew that all of those buckets came from real people. And yet in my heart of hearts, I found myself wondering when it really came down to it, If somebody had to prioritize, for instance, their desire to contribute against their desire to climb the corporate ladder, like at the end of the day, really, which would come first in people's minds? And so that was um, the research that we did with about 750 folks worldwide and asked them literally to prioritize these buckets, which we've come to refer to as development dimensions.
1: Right. 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 Okay. So we're going to let the cat out of the bag now, right? I mean, we got to yeah, find out who, what those seven are, but uh, it's funny that I want to ask you to briefly describe each of the seven and I'll, I'll just shoot them out to you. But, you know, in the research you also had, I think, because I, I took the assessment, the multidimensional career self-assessment that's in your book. We'll talk about that in a minute, but the climb is listed as well as your other seven discoveries for, you know, these new alternative ways people want to learn and grow and develop. I'm almost giving away the punchline, but I, w- I want you to tell us where that ranked. And so I'll go over each of the seven and then tell me about climb and where climb fell in place. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about, okay, so you found through those 10 years, those buckets, those things start to appear, these patterns develop, and you're like, wow, wow. Seven surfaced. Number one was contribution.
0: Yes. And so contribution just acknowledges that deep human need that we have to make a difference, to be of service, to uh, leave things better uh, for having been there and to live on purpose, to be able to align with something bigger.
1: Perfect. And I don't know if these are in order of ranking, but the next one I wanted you to briefly touch on is competence. Competence.
0: Yep. And competence acknowledges that I think employees really get the speed of change and the need to stay on top of their game. And so it's about building the critical capabilities, the skills, the abilities and expertise to perform well today and also to be ready for what's going to
1: happen tomorrow. Mm, Love it. And confidence.
0: Confidence doesn't normally fall into the realm of career development models, and yet all of us who've ever had a dip in it know it's a a showstopper in terms of career growth. And most of us will have that kind of an experience. And so there are times during our career where the most important development for us to engage in is that development of the, the core trust in our abilities that we can show up predictably, that we know we're going to be able to deliver as intended on a consistent basis.
1: Gotcha. So we're in an age of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And this one really speaks to the inclusion and belonging part. And so you found connection being one of them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's that old line, uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know, which is is overstated, but it does. I think we have to admit that we learn an awful lot through and with others, and so again, there's tremendous growth to be had by consciously and deliberately engaging in relationships, expanding yeah. your network, building a community, cultivating greater visibility. Powerful growth there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The the next one's really uh, you know it speaks to my heart because I left the corporate world for a bigger challenge. And that's the one that uh, that you found challenge.
0: Yeah, challenge. And, and isn't it interesting? Because I left the corporate world after being broken by too big a challenge. <laughs> so it can go both ways. So yeah. you know it's it's really true. So and challenge is one actually that really resonates well with managers. Many managers have already figured out how to introduce challenge into someone's uh role. You know, a, a stretch assignment, a special project or something like that that gives folks the opportunity to really test their mettle, to step outside of the discomfort, out of the comfort zone, into that discomfort zone where learning is amplified to really stretch beyond what's known.
1: Yeah. And the next one is contentment.
0: Yeah. This one causes raised eyebrows quite mm. a bit because I think you know it's easy to think contentment. that's kind of like complacency. Not true. Contentment really acknowledges that we're going to be working for decades, you know, for three, four, five decades, and it can't be a hard charge and sprint the whole time. There are times in our career when the best step forward is that step back to say, how can I cultivate greater ease, greater joy, greater balance, greater meaning in service of sustaining me over the long haul?
1: And the uh, last one is uh, choice.
0: Yes. And again, one of the the top uh, psychological needs people bring to the workplace, this need for control and autonomy, volition to be the boss of themselves and to be able to make decisions about the where and the when and the how of their work.
1: So I mentioned this the this nifty self assessment uh, tool that Julie has in her book you'll find it uh, on page 4 and I was like oh I need to take this cuz I wanted to know where I fit in to these seven buckets right and so um the, the assessment the results for me Julie here's here's now you're you're getting the uh, the the scoop on on, on my hot buttons here so I already I mentioned contribution that's number 1 which is consistent with your research, number one, for most people as well. The second one for me is contentment. It was actually a tie with contribution, ah. contentment. So contentment is all about, um, you know, am I enjoying what I'm doing? And, and am I satisfied and feeling fulfilled in the work that I do? And oh my goodness, this has this became so integral for me when I left the corporate world. But you're talking about, you know, people that are actually working in the corporate world to be able to feel this way. And uh, and so I think that's really key contentment as well. And then the, the third one for me is also came up. Well, we're going to be talking about choice. So that was that was the third one choice, Interesting. Interesting. Um, which, uh, yeah, we'll talk we'll touch on in a minute. But OK, so any thoughts so far on, you know, finding what mine are versus, you know, versus what your research found?
0: Well, I'm not surprised at all that contribution was top for you, because in aggregate, we found that contribution across ages, genders, levels, that was number one. And to me, when I saw that, it just warmed my heart to no end. Such a positive message about humankind, that that we have this deep need to be of service. Yeah. You know, it speaks so much to the work that you do and to make a difference. And for managers, this is such hopeful, helpful news because for a manager who has forever thought, oh my gosh, I, I'm too afraid to have this conversation because someone's going to ask for a promotion, someone may ask for the opportunity to contribute more. And what manager in his or her right mind is going to say no to that? It's the ultimate win-win when an employee wants to contribute and we can figure out how to make that reciprocal and make sure that they're really growing in the process. Mm. And what was interesting, uh, kind of mind-blowing in the research was, in aggregate, all of these seven dimensions that we just talked about were actually more interesting to people than the climb up the corporate ladder. In aggregate, climb was at the bottom. There was one age range, for simplicity, we went with 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and so forth. One age range had Climb as second to the last, and that was the 20-somethings. So it was second to the last for them, and then Choice was last for 20-somethings. But in aggregate, across the board, Climb was dead last. And so for me, what this really tells me is... For the longest time, we've only had that climb or that promotion on the menu. And so no wonder everybody was ordering that. Now we've expanded the menu and we've got these other options. And once we've brought language to it, people can say, oh, yeah, that's what I want.
1: I'm so glad you did the research because it really does inform the work that I do, because I mean, when I coach and train and speak, it's like I'm. I can see how everything that I'm coaching people on, especially from a servant leadership perspective, overlaps into each one of those seven areas to to bring out in people so that they can be more engaged and fulfilled in their work. And it's funny that, well, the people themselves may not know that you know, that this is what they need to be more engaged and fulfilled. And obviously the managers don't know that. So it's a, it, so we're going to get into the practical side of how to bring this out in, well, obviously in your employees, but the manager's role in uncovering that. So really fascinating. By the way, Julie, what, yeah. So yeah, climb was last. And so when I was taking the assessment, I I kind of put myself in the role of, my former corporate life just to see where it would end up. Cause obviously climb has, no it, you know, it, it, it doesn't do anything for me now. Cause I'm not climbing the corporate ladder. Right. I don't need a promotion. I'm self-employed speaker, writer, etc. cetera. So it still came in dead last, even though, even if I put myself back in where I was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it still came dead last.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. The thing about this uh, framework and the self-assessment is it's really dynamic, unlike a Myers-Briggs or a Strength Finder or DISC or something that you kind of stay in your lane. This is going to change. So as you were leaving corporate life, that was your mindset and climb was lower. At another point in your corporate life, it might've been higher. And my and and that might have been perfectly appropriate. The the challenge with climb is managers and employees have pitifully little control over it. Yeah. And so what these other dimensions give us is something that's well within our sphere of influence to affect and put into action. And when. That climb might be out of reach, unavailable, whatever. We've got these other dimensions that we can use as a means toward an end to be ready to be di- distinguishing ourselves and to remain motivated on, along the journey.
1: Mm. Okay, we're going to get into the application side here. This is the practical part of the show. And, you know, to really empower our managers listening with tools and strategies really to ensure that people are advancing through these seven dimensions. So Julie and I are going to unpack three of those dimensions after a quick break. Hang tight. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind Love & Action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now. And I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, MarcelSchwantes.com and click on Virtual Training. Okay, Julie, so I want to unpack three dimensions that came up on your research. Uh, Two kind of came from the top. We already mentioned contribution and then the second one being competence. But one that uh we actually had to switch as we were talking offline that you felt that choice which kind of fell towards the bottom in your research should be a conversation now happening why is that choice
0: well you know we did the research in the midst of um, the pandemic and it, it would be great to have a time machine and be able to go back and do something before and after and whatnot But today, given the way organizations are inviting people back to the workplace, the hybrid remote configurations, the angst associated with do I want to go back? Do I want to stay home? You know, this whole conversation around choice is really alive for a lot of employees and managers and organizations alike, as we try to figure out where does that decision making lie? Where how How should the guardrails be aligned? How much decision-making authority should people have over what their schedules look like? And we know from research like from Mercer, one in three people would give up more money, a raise, for more flexibility. Avanti found 71% of those polled would give up a promotion for anywhere, anytime sort of flexibility with their work. So this notion of choice, were we to revisit the research today, I find myself wondering, would it be a lot higher? Given what's going on and the, the, the pressures and the invitations that exist within the workplace today.
1: Mm, okay, we'll come back to choice on the application part, but I want to start with contribution because that's number one. It was number one for me. That was your <laughs> so, number one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go. So what's a good starting point for managers here to kind of key in on developing people through contribution?
0: The first step, and and this really kind of applies to all of the dimensions and to development in general, it really does come down to ongoing dialogue with people. And so when it comes to contribution, when we learn that an employee might have that toward the top of their list, then the key is to engage in dialogue that helps to unpack what does contribution mean to you? What does it look like? You know, what will it feel like when you're contributing at that level? And then the really important part is, what do you want to learn? How do you want to grow? How do you want to be different on the other end of that experience? Because the truth is, you know, when I look back on my career, some of the most profound development I had was through stepping up and contributing at higher levels, without necessarily having to, you know, that that volunteering to take over for someone who was on leave or fill a gap or step into a void here. And yet too frequently, the development sort of is viewed in the rear view mirror. You know, we look back on it and think, oh yeah, I learned a lot from that. Imagine the power of being able to plan it through the windshield, you know, with your boss to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to step into this void. I'm going to take on this project this, you know, pain point with our customers or whatever it might be. And so this is what I'm going to do I want to, in the process, make sure that I'm learning greater skills around influence management. I want to expand my network. I want to make sure that I have some C-suite visibility in the process. I want to have these three experiences in my portfolio. At that point, it's powerfully reciprocal and it it energizes the work and delivers the, the learning as well.
1: So okay and uh, so the the questions that you started out with are questions that managers should be asking and it's interesting because you mentioned that managers need to adopt a facilitation mindset and that's to me that's what that is well almost a coaching well yeah a coaching and facilitation mindset so i want to unpack a little that a little bit more about that because that speaks really to more of what we do sort of, a you know, for a living, helping train people. But now we got to put those people in those roles, helping to facilitate people's learning and growth and development. So what does that look like, a facilitation mindset?
0: That is a great question. And it's probably something we could spend multiple episodes on, right? Because it's (laughs) such a a big topic and it's so important. So facilitation is both a mindset and I believe a skill set. So the mindset piece is really shifting our thinking to recognize that even as a manager who might be really savvy, well-connected, understand the big picture, know everything, if, if that was possible, we still don't know what's going on inside the other. And so a facilitative mindset acknowledges that there is wisdom, there are insights, there are brilliant ideas inside each person just waiting to find expression. And so as a facilitator, then it's my job to draw that out of people, to engineer a safe environment where folks can make themselves vulnerable and put ideas out there, even if they're not fully formed or they feel a little bit stupid. It's about asking great questions. It's about cultivating silence, understanding that people need the space and the silence To think about some of these heady topics. It's about acknowledging and and helping people see where they can build upon their own ideas. It really is about creating the the playing field, the safe, fun playing field for people to express themselves. And then to be um, helpful about funneling that expression and those insights and that wisdom in a way that helps people formulate, okay, what do I want to do with this stuff?
1: Yeah. Okay. There's one thing about contribution that I, I need to touch on. I'm getting up there in age now. I, and by the way, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit to say that in the workplace, we have four generations now kind of shoulder to shoulder and, and, <laughs> virtually speaking, if you're in a remote setting, but, um, and so I am at that stage where I'm a Gen Xer. So I'm on the far end of the, of the spectrum as a Gen Xer, right. In my mid fifties now, and I'm looking ahead towards the, the, you know, the, the last phase of my life here is I want to leave a legacy, right. So I want to contribute in ways that 20 years ago, it wouldn't even be, it, it wouldn't even be a thought in my head, right. To have. But here we are, we, we have boomers and older Xers like myself in the workplace. And promotion is not their thing anymore. I don't care. They don't care about career development. They've done it all probably. And, and, and so talk to me about helping more senior individual contributors, You know those toward the end of their career, to contribute in a more meaningful way. What can managers do now to engage them that way?
0: Yeah, yeah, I have, I've coined the term pre retirement, those months, those years before retirement as a really magical period of time. And it's interesting where so my husband is older than you are. And he says the the same thing. He has that same sensation. And his poor boss, you know, a couple of times a year has to have those conversations with him. And the, the man doesn't even know what to do because Peter says, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want your job. I don't want anything beyond the opportunity to work with great clients, do good work and enjoy this this process. And there are lots, you know, the the pool of folks like you, like Peter, like myself is growing. Traditionally, there were kind of two ways that managers thought about this pre-tirement population. One was they're not going to be here very long. Let's just put them out to pasture you know, let's not invest a lot of resources in them and and we'll backfill when they leave. The other was thinking about how, a, a lot out of fear, actually, how do we get everything they know and can do out of their brains, all that institutional knowledge, we don't want to lose that. And so there has been a lot of effort to to make sure that those folks in the pre-retirement time are contributing in terms of mentoring others, training others, documenting their processes and that sort of thing. What I would suggest though is again, contribution is most powerful when it's reciprocal. So the idea of me just giving and giving and giving, there's not a lot of energy associated with that. Even if I'm on the verge of retirement, I don't have one foot in the grave anymore. There's going to be more stuff I'm going to want to do on the other side. And so during that time when I'm giving to the organization on my way out, that's still an opportunity for me to be strategic about what do I want to learn? Mm. What experiences might I want to cultivate? Yeah, okay, I'm going to mentor somebody, but I want you know reciprocal mentoring. I want to be connected with someone who might be able to help me think through what my next phase is, or how to do something differently as well. So to make it to be really intentional in a way that it becomes a, a win-win.
1: That's great. Okay. Uh, how about we transition to competence, right? So this um, this was the the number two ranked way employees want to grow based on your research, and, and that's through competence. So how can managers make sure this is happening consistently?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So competence. And contribution were one and two uh, across the age ranges. So we know that's really important across the, the board. And you know, managers already understand for the most part the need to help people grow their. Skills and abilities and expand what they're able to do. I mean, when you look at the research for the future of work, 85% of the jobs we'll be doing in 2030 haven't been invented. Mm. And so there is a huge uh, ramp up that a lot of us have to be ready and relevant in the years to come. And so what's interesting as I work with organizations, one of the things that I'll frequently do is to audit their individual development plans to get just eyeball a sense of what kinds of activities do people engage in, in service of learning. And what's fascinating, you've probably seen the same thing. You open those things up and they read like course catalogs, send them to this class and that workshop and this symposium. And so managers tend to kind of default to thinking about sending folks to training and you and I make our living doing this. So let me make it clear to your listeners. It's good stuff. Don't yeah. stop doing that. Right. But it's just a drop in the ocean of the possibilities that exist for growing competence. And so in that chapter of the book, we really dig into what is the, the breadth of possibility before you as a manager that will help you help others to grow. And, you know, the, I guess the spoiler alert is to the extent that we can embed that growth right in the workflow it becomes a real you know uh, synergistic uh, efficient win-win
1: yeah yeah well i love this i'm not going to give away the punchline because it's it's a word that you don't hear very often so you say that there's one fundamental competency that should be at the top of everyone's development plan what is that
0: learnership Again, I you know I've been making up words since I was a kid, and uh, but this one just really sticks with me because you know we talk about leadership totally important, but the practice of ongoing learning, lifelong intentional deliberate growth, is really essential. You know, as I, I just mentioned, so many of the jobs we're going to be doing in eight years aren't here yet. You know, when you think about the job titles that are around today that weren't here even five years ago, if we don't commit to learning throughout the course of our lives, if we don't invest the time and the energy it takes to expand our purview, to grow our skills, to, to deepen our network, it's there's a good chance that a lot of us will be irrelevant in the not-so-distant future.
1: Mm. You know, In the competence area, there is something that it's almost like we need to test. uh, Well, you said we need to test for passion and um, and to, to make sure that I think where you're coming from is that there's some intrinsic motivation there to learn and grow. Is that right? So how do you test for passion?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially with people being so busy these days, Mm -hmm. adding one more thing to their list, to their brains, it's got to be really high value. And so, to your point, if there's not some intrinsic desire, if the individual doesn't truly want to get to the other side of that, then in a busy, pressure-filled, stress-filled wor- world, they're not going to deploy the internal or other resources to make it happen. So as a, a leader and an employee as well, the opportunity is, okay, when you look at this plan you've put together, you know, whatever the action steps might be, to get real, you know, to look at it and say, okay, when the stuff starts hitting the fan, which of these things are you going to persevere through? which are going to mean enough to you, which are going to deliver enough bang for your buck to stick with it and get real and right-size those plans. You know, because so frequently I think we just think that somehow the plan is the magic and how many bullet points we've got or action steps dictates the value of it. And at the end of the day, it's how much energy someone will put into any of those points to take them forward. That to me defines success.
1: Okay. So speaking of, oh, another, one more thing that our employees need to do. I mean, these are great ideas, but my people are just too busy. And here you are. Julie's asking us to now add another thing to their place so they can learn and build skills. So how do we address this problem? And maybe it's perception, not reality.
0: No, it's reality. People are busy. I mean, we're all working longer hours for sure. So that is a reality. But learning doesn't have to take time separate and above the work. If we get clever about it, we can double team this. We can embed the learning into the work. So if someone's doing a project we can include the competencies or the skills that they're trying to learn in there. So if I need to become a better collaborator, for instance... Then on the projects that I'm engaged in, if I bring special attention to how I'm collaborating, if I gather some feedback from my team members, if I connect with my manager and report back on the couple of things that I did that were outside of my comfort zone that helped me connect differently and and have greater influence with that group, I can be learning collaboration while I'm delivering the deliverables.
1: Mm. And one of the best quotes, gang, that Julie drops in the book as it relates to this area right here of of competence is the work becomes the development. The development becomes the work. Almost sounds like a Warren Buffett quote.
0: (laughs) Oh, 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 oh. Ken Blanchard and Warren Buffett.
1: (laughs) No, that's that's uh, that's really. uh, Yeah, I love that. That 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 speaks to me. It's it's not creating more work, or here we go, we have to uh, carve more margin that we don't already have. But uh, it's it's a seamless process where work, actually, you learn as you work, basically.
0: Yeah. And when we're deliberate, when we're mindful, when we're intentional, any job can be an opportunity for growth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's transition to the last one that you and I picked out from the seven, so, this is um, you know another way that that uh, people can grow according to your research, and that's through choice. So I, so okay, I'm a manager. What can I do to help my people have a more consistent experience of choice? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so the first thing is to step back because you are an enlightened manager who's not fearful of this idea of choice. A lot of managers, you know, you start talking about giving employees choice, and that can be scary. I mean, after all, there are processes and systems and structures in place for a reason. And so this isn't about just throwing all of that up and letting things fall where they might. Um, But as a leader or a manager, you have the opportunity to step back and look at someone's role and first discern where do choices already exist? Because the truth is the average employee has a lot more choice around their work, how they do it, steps in the process, timing, there's a lot of of volition and flexibility that people have that they don't, that they take for granted, right? And so the first step is let's look at that and see where the choice points exist. And in that chapter, there's a, a list of possible choice points to help people realize how powerful they already are. That said, there are probably going to be additional opportunities for people to stretch a bit into areas where they might have greater autonomy, where they might be given greater decision-making authority. And you can imagine when you've got to make a bigger, more strategic decision, you need broader purview. You need to see the big picture. You might have to have different set of contacts and, and perspective. So tremendous learning to be had. There. So the key is to carve out where that choice lives and support others in learning through that choice, because where the risk lies is letting people just go and say, okay, we'll go figure it out. And there are consequences there. So for a leader to feel comfortable to contract, okay, you're going to start working in this area. You're going to have greater flexibility, less oversight, whatever it might be, but here's a safety net. You know, and here's how I'm going to check in with you. And here are the signals that you should probably come check in with me so that we can keep the work going forward again, back to, you know, we still have to get the work done, but allow the growth to to grow and flourish as well.
1: I wonder if you have to go back to the fact that for this to happen and happen effectively, for a say, a micromanager who isn't used to letting go of the reins to all of a sudden give freedom and choice to an individual contributor, you almost have to have the relationship in place there in order to build that trust that allows me, the manager, to go, I believe in that person enough, enough that I will I will give them some decision making privileges, right? It's because there's trust there. I don't know how much trust has to play a, a role here.
0: I think you're absolutely right. The, the manager has to trust uh, the, the motivation and the capacity of the employee. I think the employee also has to trust the manager mm. to not leave them hanging out there, or throw them under a bus or not be there to support them as they're stretching outside of their, their comfortable controller choice points as well. So yeah, it's trust is key.
1: And it's funny. Speaking of choice, it's managers have to make a choice to do any of these seven. It's you're you're you know you're venturing into kind of the this this world of I have to believe that this is going to work. So maybe it's a mindset first to say that yeah, I'm not going to maintain control or power over over the situation or over my employees. So I hold all the decisions to myself, but actually have the belief to think that they have the skills and they have the creativity to do things on their own. And I, I, and I'll almost there's an interplay here where if you come from that mindset, then obviously you're going to give more choice and, and you'll want to build their confidence and you want to build their competence, right? So I think in in each of the decisions to increase development through those seven, you're building trust. In the because it's relational, I think each of those seven requires the relational aspect first to be in place for any of them to happen. And as you act out on, you know, giving people more contribution and in building their confidence, you build trust naturally. It's it just it happens by virtue of relationships taking place. Boy, that was a long ramble, Julie.
0: No, it was a mic drop <laughs> moment, Marcel. No, you're you're absolutely right. It it builds and inspires the reciprocal trust that makes it easier and easier for development to happen and it also makes it easier for leaders to be able to step up and take on greater and more strategic sorts of opportunities in their organization to have a bigger impact. When they are able to empower others through development to take on more.
1: Yeah. So before we wind down here, I want to make sure that we took care of the important stuff, right? So is there anything that you need to uncover here that we didn't that's really important for our listeners to know?
0: Maybe just that online, we have a digital version of that self-assessment. So um, of course would encourage people to get the book, but you can also take the self-assessment online and get an emailed report uh, to you that gets into a little bit more analysis around your greatest interests and also offers some reflection questions. So from an employee standpoint, I can start thinking about ooh, how could I start to get ready for a, a good conversation with my manager?
1: All right, we'll come back to that. So you guys will know exactly where to go for that link. Okay, Julie, we have. A new tradition since episode. What was it, thirteen or twelve? 13. That you were lucky in? thirteen. <laughs> lucky thirteen, <laughs> and that is we ask our guests the leadership love question. You know, some guests I kind of have to prep them. They don't come from that orientation, even though they come on the show. Some of them are, you know, ooh, they, they really need to uh, think about it. But I I know that for you, this is not going to be an issue. So the the leadership love question is this, in your own words. How do we as leaders and managers lead with practical love and care day in and day out?
0: I hate to sound like a one trick pony here, but (laughs) I really do think that we demonstrate love and care to those around us in the workplace through development. Mm. You know, development is the most intimate relationship we have with others when we're dealing with hopes and dreams and fears and aspirations and managers who want to express love in the workplace can really help people feel loved in the workplace um, when they invest in the development, the growth, the expansion of what people can do.
1: Mm. We say it all the time on the show. I say it in my intros all the time that it's love that helps people to flourish And I can't think of a better way to do that than develop people, right? So that's great. All right, we bring it home with two questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like to share?
0: You know, it, it breaks my heart when I look at the folks in New York as well as in the Los Angeles area who are experiencing, you know, high infection rates of COVID again and feeling like they're being drugged back and and having to um, to take the precautions that they were so so enjoying letting go of uh, as summer summer begins and the workplace implications associated with that the additional stressors that everyone has in the back of their minds as they're going out and working with others. It's, it'll be good when we get past this.
1: Mm, Thanks for that, Julie. And finally, you get to close us out, bring us home with uh, (laughs) a closing remark or maybe a takeaway to keep us inspired.
0: (laughs) Well, it's, it strikes me that we have a unique opportunity as leaders to help people change their relationship with career and career development to really realize what's in their hearts around uh, careers to break the frame to trade promotions for possibilities and you know to express that love that we were just talking about in a really tangible way by helping people be better and feel better in the workplace and leaders who can crack the code on that they're the ones who are going to be able to enjoy the, the kind of satisfaction and the engagement and uh, the results and the retention that organizations really need to thrive today.
1: Fantastic. Julie, if people want to connect with you and learn more about you and take that uh, digital assessment, where can they go?
0: JulieWinklejulioni.com. And I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes because it's a lot of vowels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Expect that in my show notes. As always, every time we get together, you know, it's funny that the, every time you write a book and I get it, I'm one of those podcast hosts, yes, that reads books. And even so, even, even more so when you're a friend of mine like you are. But let me tell you, I cannot bring any of your books back to a used bookstore. They will not take it back because there's so much writing And highlights and earmarks and sticky notes. And what I mean to say is that I always learn from you in the work that you do. So we're all much better for it. Thank you. That
0: is the greatest compliment Marcel. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me back. It's such an honor to get to visit with you and share ideas with your listeners.
1: Pleasure. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you, Love in Action Tribe, for joining the conversation. And you can continue the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag Love in Action podcast. And as I mentioned, um, for the show notes, go to my website right now, MarcelSchwantis.com. Reach out to Julie and get her digital download. We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.